here we are at four years, and tonight that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about, what, about the importance of, of continuing to pray. Is it important that we continue to pray? And it's very important that we continue to pray. I can even use a scripture from 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 that tells us to pray without ceasing. We're to never stop until we go home with the Lord or until Christ returns. And Paul instructs the Philippians when it comes to prayer in Philippians 4 and 6, he says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, say everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. In other words, don't worry about everything, but pray about everything. Give it to God. Make your petition known to God. Make a request to God. And the Bible even tells us, come boldly before the throne of grace and make your petitions known. We now have that privilege as Christians to go directly to the throne room of God and speak to God, a God who answers and hears our prayers. But I want to talk about something here, and that's the second coming of Christ church is coming soon. And do you know that prayer is going to play a big role in whether or not you and I already having a prayer life is going to be very crucial to how we are found at the second coming of christ prayer is the most powerful weapon that we have the bible tells us the weapons of warfare are not carnal but they're mighty through god to the pulling down of strongholds prayer is the most powerful thing that we have so many times so many of us think we have nothing left no hope no way nothing we can do about our circumstances our situations yes there is we can pray to a god who answers and a god who hears our prayers and a god who comes through for his people and shows himself strong on our behalf having a prayer life is going to be very crucial to how we are found at the second coming of christ having a prayer life is a part of being ready we are to pray continually that we are ready for that day. And not only pray that we are ready, but that many others are ready as well. According to Mark 13, 33 through 37, I want you to listen to this scripture. Take heed, watch and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Watch, therefore, he says, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, and what I say to you, I say to all, he says, watch. He's saying watch. In other words, be ready. The master is coming back. You don't know when, so always be ready. Watch for it. They have been told by the master that he would return. We have been told by our master that he's going to return. In John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. He says, don't worry. I'm coming back for you. But we don't know exactly when. And Matthew 24 and 36 declares, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no and the angels, nor the angels of heaven, but my Father only. He tells us that no man knoweth the day or the hour of his returning. He says, so watch and be ready at all times. Church, it can happen at any moment in the twinkling of an eye. In Luke 17, 
He taught them about what the conditions of the world would be like at his second coming when he comes back. Luke 17, 26 through 30, he says, Jesus describes what the days will be like. It reads, as it was in the day of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the day of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sowed, they planted, they built. But on the day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day of the Son of Man is revealed. He compares the coming of the Son of Man to the flood in Noah's day and to the destruction of Sodom by, by fire and brimstone. And he says that the days before Christ's coming will be like the days for those two catastrophes as they were. He's implying people's lives will be busy. People are going to be doing ordinary life. In verse 27, he says they ate, they drank, they bought, they sowed, they planted, they built. Sounds pretty familiar to me. And verse 30 says, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In other words, we can expect that most of the world will be engaged in business as usual when the lightning of the Son of Man flashes from the east to the west. Then in verses 31, 33, Jesus warns us not to be like Lot's wife. And that scripture says, In that day, he who also on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. In verse 32, he says, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life, he says, will preserve it. In verse 32, he says to remember Lot's wife. Remember the mistake that she made. That is, in an hour of crisis, don't love the world. Don't turn back with longing, or you'll be unfit for the kingdom, he says. Remember, when the Son of Man comes, he will separate the sheep from the goats. Even if people are sleeping together or working side by side at the mill, one will be taken into safety and the other left. The one that is taken is the one that was ready. And the one that is left wasn't ready. And Jesus makes it clear that eternal life hangs on whether we are ready or not when he comes. Luke 18, 1 through 8 is really a part of this end time teaching. It closes in verse 8 with the question, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will the warnings of Jesus to remember Lot's wife to keep your heart fixed on Christ, and to not love the world, will these warnings secure the faith of the disciples? Will they endure to the end? Will a son of man find us trusting him or busy securing our lives in this world? I think a natural question disciples would ask, and which we should ask at this point is, how can we endure to the end? How can we make sure that we don't become like Lot's wife when we are too much in love with the world to go all the way in this thing with Christ. The danger we face as disciples of Jesus waiting for his return is stressed, is stressed even more clearly by Matthews 24, 11, 13. Jesus says concerning the last days before his coming, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because wickedness is multiplied, most men will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So in Luke 18 and 8, Jesus could have asked, when the Son of Man comes, will he find fervent love on the earth? 
The danger we face is that our faith in Christ and our love for him and for each other will be swallowed up by opposition or by the sheer busyness of daily life in these last days. Will we find ourselves consumed or will we find ourselves in love with the world? So the question is, how can we endure? How can we be found with faith and with love? How can we avoid being like Lot's wife and like those who are left in judgment? Pray. 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 Prayer is the answer. Because Jesus tells a parable to give us this answer. It's one of the few parables which he interprets for us so we don't miss the point. The parable is found in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Luke 18, 1 tells us the point of the parable. He begins right off the bat in verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Jesus' answer to this question, how to endure to the end is prayer. Always praying. And don't grow weary of praying. In other words, don't lose heart. And the parable goes like this in 18 verses 2 through 5. And Jesus is teaching his disciples this very point through a parable. Verse 2, he says, There was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God, nor did he regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor do I regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will adventure, lest by her continual coming she weary me. In other words, he's saying, because of her persistence. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall, not, and shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? In other words, those that are persistent in prayer, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will really find faith on the earth. Now, this teaching comes as a conclusion to what they taught them in Luke 17. Jesus is using this parable in Luke 18 to encourage us to keep on praying, that we should never cease praying. In this parable, we got a widow who comes to an unjust judge, and she begins to plead for help. She's being oppressed unjustly, and she simply wants the judge to use his authority to seek her relief. Her only source of help is this unjust judge. She comes again and again until he gives her the help she needs just to get her off his back. But the argument of the parable is not that if you can wear out an unjust human judge, you may stand a chance of wearing out God so that he helps you just to get you off his back as well. No, 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 no. It's quite the contrary. That would contradict Luke 12 and 32 where Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But even more importantly in this parable, he's trying to show the disciples that our God, unlike the unjust judge, is a righteous judge. So therefore, everything about our God, our judge, is different than her human judge. We need to have an understanding that our God is our righteous God. He's not like a human judge. Thank God we're not God, right? That humans get to judge. God is the judge. He's the only righteous judge there is. Jesus tells us two things about the unjust judge in verse 2. 
He neither feared God, nor did he regard man. These are repeated in verse 4, where he says, Though I neither fear God nor regard man, yet I will vindicate her. I don't fear God. I don't fear man. But I will vindicate her. In other words, these two marks of the judge are obstacles to his helping the widow. First, the unjust judge has no fear of God and is therefore prone not to help her. This means that the fear of God would prompt a judge to help a needy widow. And if the fear of God would prompt a judge to help a needy widow, then God, who is just, is not like the unjust judge, but is the kind of God whose heart inclines to help those who cry to him. He doesn't have to be begged. It's his desire to help those in need, to show himself strong on their behalf. So when Jesus tells us that the obstacle that almost kept the judge from helping the widow was his failure to fear God, he makes it very crystal clear that the fear of God inclines a person to give heed to cries for help. And therefore, God himself is full of mercy to all who call upon him. Therefore, if a judge who has no fear of God can be swayed by persistent petitions, how much more certain can we be that our God will help those who cry to him day and night? And the second mark of the judge was that he had no regard for man. The widow was an unknown to him, and he had no interest in her at all. The assumption is that if he cared about the widow, he would help her. Does our God have no regard for us? Is he indifferent to our needs? In verse 7, Jesus gives us the answer. It says, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he hears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Disciples of Jesus are not in the category of strangers to God. They are his elect. He has chosen them. He has chosen me. He's chosen you. He has set his favor on them. He has adopted them to be his children. And as Christians, we are his children. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are his very elect. We've been chosen by him. He is, we have been adopted to whereby we can cry out and call him Abba Father. And as Paul says in Romans 8, 31 to 33, if God be for us, who is against us? Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. There is nothing more precious than to be chosen by God. It means he has set his favor upon his fully and freely. He is for us. He's for us with all of his might. Therefore, Jesus teaches, if an unjust judge can be moved by persistent petitions to help a stranger for whom he has no regard, how much more will our God help his own chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Therefore, we must have persevering prayer and faith. If an unjust judge can be moved and swayed to help someone he don't even know in need, how much more will our righteous judge who chose us and loves us care for us, give us our petitions as we pray? So this parable is intended to be an encouragement for us to pray continually until Jesus comes back. See, when Jesus asks at the end of verse 8, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He means Will the Son of Man find that his disciples have kept praying or have they lost heart and given up? So the implication seems to be prayer and faith stand 
and fall together. If we lose heart and we drift away from prayer, then the Son of Man will not find faith in us when he comes. See, because faith is the furnace of our lives and it's fueled by the grace of God. And the divinely appointed shovel for feeding the fire is prayer. If you lose heart and you lay down the shovel, the fire will go out and you will grow, grow cold and very hard. And when the lightning flashes from sky to sky and the Son of Man appears in glory and you're not ready, he will spew you out of his mouth according to Revelations 3 and 16. He says that two will be sleeping in one bed, one will be taken, and the other will be left. And the test will not be whether you once walked an aisle or whether you prayed a prayer at one time or whether you made a vow or whether you were baptized. The test will be whether you continued in prayer and did not lose heart. We're living in a time and in an age when our world's in chaos and upside down. This is not a time to lose heart. This is a time to pray. If my people which are called by my name will pray, we have to pray. And if we'll continue to pray, then we won't lose heart. But what happens is when we lose heart, we quit praying. And when we quit praying, we lose our faith. Verse 7 says, the sign of the elect is that they cry to God day and night. And that those who endure to the end will be saved. How crucial is that we not leave prayer behind? That when he returns, he finds us still faithful to prayer. Because to God, praying is an indication that you still have faith. If you have faith in God, you will pray continually in all things about everything the Scripture says. If you're saying to yourself that daily prayer for more power to live a fruitful life of Christ-likeness is only for spiritual heavyweights, and that you intend to make your way to heaven without it, if then you are greatly deceived. Somewhere along the way, someone has put unbiblical teaching into your head that you can survive without a prayer life. You're being deceived. It's your most powerful weapon. It's your communication line to God. It's crucial to your relationship with God. How many understand being a Christian requires having a personal relationship with God? And that we all know what pleases God is faith. How long would your relationship last with your spouse if you never talked? We do more talking in a relationship than we do any other role. And if you want a relationship to die, quit communicating with each other. When the talking stops, the relationship stops. So it is with God. Without persevering in prayer, faith, and love, you become lukewarm. Jesus commands us in Luke 81 always to pray and not to lose heart. Therefore, prayerlessness is disobedience. And I'm going to be closing. Remember the words of Jesus to us is that we ought to always pray and not lose heart. If we grow weary and leave off praying, our faith will wither. We should not grow weary in prayer because God is not like the unjust judge, but much more kindly disposed to us. As verse 7 says, he will surely vindicate his elect who cry to him day and night. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Praying is very, very important. Always pray and do not lose heart. Pray without ceasing. Tonight, I felt it was time to remind us once again why we should continue in prayer. 
why it's important after four years that we continue to pray. We're to never quit praying. We should never stop praying. If we ever come to a place that we stopped it on Wednesday nights, you should never quit praying. We should have learned well by now, if you've been part of these four years, it's important, it's powerful, it's necessary until the second coming of Christ to pray. Because God hears us and God answers us when we cry out in prayer and never lose heart. You will know when you lose heart, it's when you quit praying. It's like a white flag signaling your surrender to your conditions or your situations. If an unjust judge can be moved by continually petitioning, how much more can our righteous judge, our God, be moved by your petitions? So we must keep praying. We must keep asking because God keeps answering. Would you stand with me, please? What we do every Wednesday night here as a corporate body is so important. It's important to you. It's important to the life of this church. It's important to the life of our community and our surroundings. It's important, we've talked about it before, that we pray for one another. We pray for ourselves. We intercede for one another. There's so many ways to pray, and everybody should have a prayer life. If you're a Christian, the most powerful thing you got, the most, the most successful thing you can do is make sure that you have a prayer life, that you take praying very important to your life. Prayer, God hears our prayers. And some of you have been praying for some things for a long time. They've not changed yet. But what would the Bible tell us according to the scripture we just read? Keep praying. Don't stop. Keep praying. Be repetitious. Pray and pray and pray. There, there's a thing that goes around, and, and it's, it's, it's totally unbiblical. Oh, you don't have to pray more than once. Yes, you do. You pray continuously. You pray and pray and pray over it. You just keep bombarding petition in heaven. Because like in our pa passage of Scripture, if an unjust can be moved by, by, by persistence, our God can be moved by persistence. And we're supposed to keep praying, and we're supposed to pray. Why? Because it expresses that we have faith in God. And if you're not praying and you don't have a prayer life, then I tell you, your faith life is weak too. And when you lose your faith, you quit praying. But if you'll keep praying, you'll keep your faith. Because God will move and show himself strong on your behalf. If, you're, if you've been praying for a loved one for a long time, keep praying. It's not a time to stop. We're to pray until the Lord takes us home or till the return of the second coming of Jesus Christ in church is getting close. It's closer now than it's ever been. Jesus could come back at any moment. Even while I'm sitting here telling you about praying, Jesus could come back. So he says to watch, be ready. And the only way you're going to keep yourself ready is you've got to pray, God, make sure, pray that I make sure I'm ready. God, search me, oh God, see if there's any unclean thing in my heart so that I can correct it. Lead me, Lord. Speak to him. Have a personal relationship with the Lord. And you have that by praying. Praying is an open communication to God that God hears everything that you pray. Aren't you glad we don't have to do it like in the Old Testament? Go find a priest and say, would you go in, go in for me and see if you can find repentance for me? No, we don't have to do that no more. We have, we have the privilege now that we can go directly to God. He's not a respecter of persons. It's not that Brother Crutchfield can pray, but Brother Ziegler can't pray to God. 
No, every single one of us can pray to God. And we must take advantage of that because it's a privilege. It's the most powerful weapon we have. So what we need to do is continue to pray. That's why we're continuing on. After four years, we're still going to keep praying. And we believe that our prayer has made a difference in a lot of people's lives. I believe there's a lot of you can raise your hand and testify through prayer. These prayer times, things have changed. And some of you aren't in the place that you were. You prayed and prayed and prayed, and God delivered, and God came through for you. God's turned that situation around. That's far from even your mind right now. But our lives are full of troubles, and troubles keep coming, so we keep praying. And we are to keep praying until we leave this world or until Jesus comes back. It's one of the most important things we can do. And I want to tell you tonight, this many people being here on a Wednesday night to pray, taking time out of your life, dedicating your life to come and pray, is very pleasing to God. You know what's so pleasing about you all being here? It shows faith. It shows that every single one of you have faith. You came here because you believed that I can come to the house of the Lord and I can believe the scripture that we're two or three are gathered together that he's in our midst, that I can agree with my brother, that there's power in prayer and there's power in, in, the, in the numbers and bringing people together. So with that being said, what I wanted to encourage you to do I'd like to ask you all, we do this every Wednesday. If you've not been here or not, and we don't, no matter how large it gets, we want to continue to do this because we believe there's something special in bringing people, the body together to pray. These Wednesday nights are about praying. That's why we try to just do devotions. So that way we don't spend a lot of time and you only got just a couple of minutes to pray. But why I want to do it tonight, I want to invite every single one of you to come. You should have something to pray about. Something you've been praying about. Pray for someone else. Pray for someone you, you know. Pray for a lost loved one. Pray for God to come through those things you've been fighting, those things you've been battling. I'm going to ask you to come and pray. Find yourself to, a place to pray. You can, you can kneel down around this altar. You can kneel down at those first row, those chairs. But there's something important about you coming. It's like, I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm coming to petition you, God. And God's going to begin to help you. When you're done praying tonight, tonight I'm going to just ask you, you can just dismiss yourself when you're done praying, but we should pray. Pray that you'll be ready. Pray that you don't lose heart. You're going through a tough time in your life, and it's wearing you down. And if you're not careful, you'll lose heart. If you're weary and you're tired, come and pray and ask God to strengthen you. Ask God to deliver you. Ask God to be with you. Ask God to, to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. Pray. It's all about praying, watching God begin to change our lives and change this church. In return, we change the whole community. Father, I come to you right now in the precious name of Jesus Christ. As many have came faithfully because of their faith, God, they have knelt down now at this altar, God. And they're petitioning you, God, Lord. And they're praying because we believe in the power of prayer and because we believe in you, God, Lord, that you're a God who hears our cries day and night, God. You've even encouraged us to cry day and night, to have a life of prayer, to have a lifestyle of prayer, to come to you, God, that you're our very present helps in times of trouble, that we can come boldly before you, God, and that we're to make our petitions known. All prayer and supplication and everything is what you've instructed us to do, to come with you because you care about the little things, you care about the big things, you care about your people most of all, God. You care about us. We, you have chosen us, God. We are a part of your elect, God, Lord. And Father, we have a relationship with you. We're joint heirs with you, with Jesus Christ. And therefore, we come to you tonight, dear God, Lord. And we continue to take your word and be a doer of your word, which instructs us to pray. 
And God, we're going to pray tonight. Many are praying about different issues that are going on in their life. We all have different lives and stuff and things are going in our lives. But we all have the same God, the same God that we all trust in you. There is only one God, and you are our God, Lord. You are Jehovah, God. And we praise you for that. And God, we come to you tonight believing there, God, that if we can keep petitioning you, that we can keep coming to you and reminding you of where we're at and what we're going through. And God, Lord, we're coming tonight, God, asking you, God, let this be the day, dear God. Let this be the day, God, that our prayer is answered, Father Lord. We, we have an understanding, God, that our prayer, when we pray, it goes to heaven. And it's like a sweet incense, God, around the throne room of God. And you hear this prayer constantly and constantly, God. But it keeps you informed, God, Lord, that there is a need, that we have needs, God, Lord. But you said that we could come to you, God, Lord, and we could present our need to you, God. And that, God, you supply all of our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So when we pray tonight, God, we're believing, dear God, that we're praying and we're going to receive an, an answer, God, Lord, that we're going to see you intervene in our lives, God. We're, going to, we're interceding for others, God, Lord. We're praying, God, that we'll be ready. Father, we believe that we're getting closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ than ever, God, Lord. We, we can tell by the conditions we're living in and the way the things are going on in our world. But, God, we're, we're staying focused, dear God. We're trying to keep watch, dear God. And we're trying to make sure that, God, we are ready for when you come back, God. Whether you come tonight or you come tomorrow or you tarry, God. But, Father, we want to be ready the day that we leave this world, God. That know that our hearts are right, dear God. We ask you, God, to forgive us of all sin, cleanse us of all unrighteousness, God, Lord. If there be anything in us, God, Lord. Reveal it to us, God, Lord. Father, clean us a clean hands and a clean heart, God. We petition you. We come here sincerely tonight, God, as a corporate body, dear God, knowing the, knowing the power of coming here together as a body and praying in one mind, in one accord, God. Father, it was successful on the day of Pentecost when there was in one mind and one accord and when they prayed together, Father. And God, we know that now as we pray in together, Father, we are bombarded in heaven to a God who hears and a God who will answer our prayers. We trust in you with our lives. We trust in you with everything that we have, God. We trust you with our family, our loved ones, our most precious things, God, we have. And God, we trust you, God, Lord, to be there for us, to show yourself strong on our behalf, dear Lord. We know that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We know that greater is he that is us than he that is in the world. And Father, we come to you tonight, God, Lord, through faith. God, exercising our faith tonight, faith tonight, God. Believing, dear God, Lord, that our faith pleases you, God. And God, as we please you, God, Lord, you in return, dear God, a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, God, Lord. And Father, tonight we pray as a corporate body, and we make a commitment, God, and we're devoted to continue to pray, God. We have learned through this, through this process of four years, God, Lord, the power of prayer. We've heard so many different sermons and so many different perspectives of what power can do. We have heard testimonies. We hear testimonies week after week in this church, God, Lord, of you moving on behalf of people's lives, people that we have prayed for, God. We pray on Wednesday night, but we got to pray every day. It has to be a lifestyle because every day we do have the privilege, God, to pray to you and call out to you day and night, 24-7, 365 days a year. You are our God, Lord. You're a God who neither sleeps nor do you ever slumber, but you are a God who hears your people and you want to show yourself strong on our behalf, dear God, Lord. And tonight we are going to praise you before we leave this place and give you the glory and the honor in which you deserve, God, Lord. And thank you for what you in advance for what you're going to do in our lives, God. We praise you and we give you glory in Christ's holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen.